Hello there, you soporific sojourners. It's Chappie, your British butler. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. Episode 184 today. Happy Friday to you. Hopefully you're frolicking on this Friday. Maybe it's a fry-yay. Maybe you're using your air fryer, and that should be a fry-yay, in my opinion, anyway. No time this morning to use the air fryer, but I did uh, and have used it over the course week. I've, I've made a lovely... A lovely piece of a round cut of beef that was on Sunday and that was cooked in about 20 minutes now it's quite rare if you like your round cut a little bit uh, well done then probably need 35 minutes uh, then I cooked the chicken that was cooked in about 40 minutes crispy skin if you like the crispy skin of le poulet then uh, you have the air fryer that's absolutely beautiful beautiful breakfast potatoes but I will be telling you later where I had a fry boohoo is a fr- air fryer fail, basically. And uh, we'll be talking about that a little bit later today. But I'm finding labels everywhere. Do you have a partner, girlfriend, boyfriend, special friend, wife, husband, whoever it is, whomever it may be, who tears labels off everything? I'm finding basically confetti of labels everywhere. It's everywhere. It's like, it's like my own little pillow of labels cushioning my feet. I'm never going to have plantar fasciitis ever again because I have labels all over my house here. I mean, it is absolutely everywhere, I tell you. But anyway, somebody's like a compulsive disorder where you have to rip off labels. Now, I do like the label brushing my nose to help send me to sleep. It's, it's, it's a comforting thing. It's from being a child and putting my thumb through the label, and then gently caressing my nose. You're thinking, well, chappy, you need a big label to caress that big old honky. Yes, I do have some very, very large labels around the house, but they're now all ripped off. So anyway, I'm trying to I'm trying to get through that whole situation. It's very perturbed on a Friday to have one's labels all ripped off here, but I'm always worried if you rip a label off, you're going to rip the duvet, and then the stuffing's going to come out. And it's going to be all sorts of troublesome issues for you moving forward. I'm ready to go. I have a little bit of toast still stuck in the chops here. And uh, I have to push you towards the shredded marmalade. The sort of golden shredded marmalade that you can get. Orange marmalade. Uh, and uh, it's, it's sort of the David Gower of marmalades. I imagine David Gower, the ex-elegant English batsman, drink, you know, eating this marmalade whilst drinking a nice cup of tea. Wistful. Uh, frolicking, uh, sometimes forlornly, I suppose, but very, very elegant, and uh, just a gentle, gentle afternoon sojourn to the crease, a little wafty outside leg stump, and uh, probably more likely off stump, a little wafty outside off stump, but oh so elegant. You fail as elegantly as you succeed is the mantra today, but I love the golden tread marmalade. I forget about it. And I don't eat marmalade for maybe six months. And then I have it again. And I think this is the golden nectar. This was probably in some sort of urn or glass jar in the Ark of the Covenant. It's absolutely beautiful. I love myself. The golden shredded marmalade. Melted butter. And then that marmalade on top there. That little citrusy wake-up call that you need in the morning. Is, uh, is, is, is a wonder. But I started the day with that, but it's a little bit in the chops, so I do apologize if uh, 
if it's slurping around the chops slightly here i'll do we'll try to do better over the course uh, of the course of the day i've put the air conditioning on i have a, a little zip up number it's a quarter zip it's a little bit trendy because you know what if this was an evolving situation with this uh, with this sweatshirt it's like uh, it's like a homo erectus uh, developing and evolving into a homo sapien this this sweater this this uh, little this little number here that I'm wearing, this sweatshirt, this quarter zip, would would evolve into a hoodie. You can see in a thousand years that this little zip-up number would eventually form a form a little hood, almost like that we used to have tails, didn't we? We formed tails as human beings. That you know, the tailbone used to be where the tail used to pop out. Yes, the, the front I'm talking about, the front popping out, yeah, and. Uh, and that's what used to happen. But this this could evolve into a hoodie in a thousand years. But I won't be around, luckily, for that. So I'm never going to evolve into uh, a said hoodie wearer. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But the quarter zip, with no shirt underneath, I, I've, the amount of times this morning I've already made my eyes water because I've got the rug caught in the zip. I mean, if you want to wake up call in the morning, if you're feeling a little bit sleepy, if you, if uh, if if sleep apnea has got you, or any sort of sleep disorder has got you, then put on, uh, put on a, put on one <laughs> of these quarter zip, little uh, little jumpers, little sweatshirts, and then get your hairy rug caught in that. Now for ladies, there's other things I'm sure you can get caught into a zip, but it would be painful. I mean, I've had all sorts of things caught in the zip over the years. We're not going to go into that, but no, the tugging on the rug in the morning really gets you up and at 'em. Oh, curiosity did indeed possibly kill the cat at some point. Uh, yes, you already what, chappy? You've got that sweatshirt on, that little quarter zipper. What are you wearing on the bottoms? Are you going trouserless for the podcast? No, I have my yellow shorts on because it's going to be nearly 80 degrees today. So I have the air conditioning on. And I don't know if you've, uh, probably not in the UK, where there's very few places with air conditioning. Like maybe in my grandmother's house, she used to have those... Uh, draft excluders that look like huge pythons at the bottom of the door because the air used to flow around under the doors you did not have to have air conditioning the house built in 1720 had its own air conditioning basically uh it was a like a hurricane going around the house under the doors uh insulation wasn't very very good i mean at night you probably need 15 blankets in the winter time in that winter of 1963 where it snowed from Boxing Day till uh, the spring, you'd probably need five blankets on. But in the summertime, in the summer of 76, I think people would have queued up, uh, lined up maybe for a, a glass of iced lemonade or something, or maybe a, a cool beer. Not you can get a cool beer in the UK, it's always warm beers, at my grandmother's house just to cool down because it, that's, that's how drafty it was. But I had to put the air on today. And the first time you put the air on, it's that sort of musty smell. It's a little musty. Musty and misty and musty and musty. You know, I mean, you don't want that. I mean, what, all, the, all the germs of winter are stuck in there. There's probably dead crickets. Who knows what? Uh, but the air's on. The shorts are out. Uh, the sun's out, but the guns aren't out. My guns are probably pretty half-cocked, I would say, more than anything else. Uh, but that's going to be uh, this could be the story of the day, trying to keep cool on the first day of summer. 
So today on the podcast, we may or may not be talking about these different subjects. The next generation or the current generation, Gen Z, I've made this estimation, I've made this determination, I've sleuthed around and deduced that the Gen Zs do not like gravy. They do not like their brown gravy. They may not like sauces either. They do not want to get saucy, but they do not like the gravy. So we're going to be talking about that today. Also, my grandmother's proud cockerel, uh, right next to my grandfather's grave, we'll be talking about that. Uh, Do waterproof uh, socks exist? Uh, Calling everybody friends uh, on a training. Uh, Have you ever had that before? Or people that just call you friends. Hey, friends. Ha, how's it going, friends? Uh, Also, everybody loves a handwritten note, don't they? Are you a fondant fancy freak? Stuffing stuck in the throat. Smarty mini eggs. Bone in the hand. Um, oh, basically, yes. If you measure the, the bone in a fetus's hand, you can see how tall you're going to be. Yes, we'll be talking about that as well. Are there any Tories as attractive as Rupert Friend in the Anatomy of Scandal on Netflix? I don't think there are. There are no attractive Tories, are there? I'm wearing too many clothes. Well, not today. Uh, which pop rock singer would you want to save your life? Also, how about David Attenborough narrating different things? I know he narrates uh, National Geographic uh, and also um, National History type of programs. Uh, but I think he could narrate all sorts of things. He could probably narrate the phone book. Um, also, the biker smoking spliff, uh, the most annoying socks in the world. Now, these subjects will probably pop up over the course of the next couple of podcasts, either today or indeed tomorrow. We have some Trumpius trombonists. Uh, we may have a rate my plate. Very British problems as well. Another one of my favourite Twitter sites. One of my favourite Twitter handles. But really, we're going to be soaking in the sun. Just see me as your basically solar power for you. I'm the solar power pain. Just reflect me into your ears, and I'm going to warm you up. So I want to get this out in the open. I don't think that gravy. I'm talking the sort of brown gravy, Bisto, oh, Bisto. Yeah, Bisto's not going to live and be used for the next generation. I do not think that Gen Z's like gravy. Both my two daughters detest gravy. They don't want to go over near gravy. They want gravy on the side of the plate. They don't want it on their meat. They don't want it on their potatoes. They don't want anything soggy. Also, other children I know. My loves, you know, kids, they do not like gravy. They do not want gravy. They turn their nose up at gravy. I mean, what is it? Is is food not as dry as it used to be? Because I imagine back in the day when my grandmother used to cook, sometimes the food was a little bit dry, a little bit overcooked, especially in the British day. I mean, people used always make fun of British food, constantly make fun of, uh, of British food. Um, but it's getting, it's getting a lot better, I have to say. If you're visiting the UK, it has got a lot better. But maybe you needed the uh, gravy to rehydrate things. Maybe you don't need that now. Food is not possibly not as dry. But I think my grandfather used like sauces with everything. I like a sauce. He had a white sauce with his runner beans. But I love, I love sauces. I love a cheese sauce, love a white flour sauce, love gravy, love uh, cranberry, love red currant jelly all of the different sauces but maybe maybe condiments are going out of fashion you're not going to have a safe meal 
There's no safe space without condiments. You will need to practice safe eating by having lots of condiments with your food. I mean, is it going to go the same way as chutney and pick a lily? Is it going to go the same way as gravy? But gravy can hold many, many different esteemed things. It can also rescue a dish. And also, if you're recooking or having leftovers, you can, uh, re you can rejuvenate a piece of roasted meat. I cooked my roast beef on Monday in a little bit of gravy. It rehydrated it. It was absolutely beautiful and delicious. We need gravy. Gravy cannot go out of fashion as I drool down my chin here. The gravy is making me drool. We cannot lose it. It cannot go. It cannot become something that archaeologists are going to find. They're going to find these granules. What is this thing here? We're going to pour it into a puddle. We're going to rehydrate it. It's going to be absolutely lovely. You see archaeologists maybe in a thousand years looking at this bisto and trying to figure out what it is. Oh, we've had dry food for a thousand years and we've rediscovered the wonders of gravy. So we make a very hard handbrake turn from gravy to how to DIY a dog poop composter or composter. Is it composter or composter? So this was in the wildest website. As a dog person, you probably think about dog poop more often than your dogless friends. But here's the fun. Well, it's okay, gross. The fact is, and you may never have thought about this, the average dog produces three quarters of a pound of waste per year. That's 270 pounds of dog poop per year. Multiply that by the millions of dogs in the US, that's a lot of poop. If you want to reduce waste and help the environment, consider making an in-ground pet waste digester or poop dog poop processor. I mean, it, you need to get all your peas in a row here. I need somebody to stop popping the microphone. Dog poop processor, which is actually a pretty easy weekend project. Then this DI dog waste composters divert dog waste from landfills and instead keep it in your own backyard in an environmentally friendly way. Now, if you live in Chappie Towers, a very small sort of little situation, not like old Chappie Towers, but pretty small, I don't think you want a dog composter in the middle of your bedroom or in the corner. I think it could get a little bit stinky. I think people would complain as you fill it up and you have a hundred pounds of dog waste at the side of your bedroom. The DIY dog waste composters divert dog waste from landfills and you, and you put it in your own backyard and it's an environmentally friendly way to do. They work similarly to home septic systems, converting the waste to a liquid that leaches out of the subsoil. I mean, you could put it on your balcony, I suppose. But if you're sitting outside, I mean, you'd have to just have a cigar outside every night to, to uh, hide the smell, probably. So this is how you make a DIY dog poop disposal system. Number one, take an old plastic garbage can and drill a dozen holes or so in the side. Number two, cut out the bottom. No, not your bottom, the bottom of the garbage can uh, or rubbish trash can, rubbish bin. A keyhole saw works great for this. Dig a hole deep enough for the garbage can. And again, I wouldn't try doing this in the corner of your bedroom or probably the balcony. Toss some rocks or gravel in the hole for drainage and position the garbage so it can be a little above ground level. Place the lid on top. You don't want to paint something like, and you want to paint something like dog waste compost. You don't want somebody going in there and thinking it's like pork crackling or something. Start scooping. When you add poop to the bin, sprinkle in some uh, septic starter available at the hardware store, the Amazon, and add some water. 
And then, within 48 hours, the septic tank starter promotes natural bacterial growth. This will begin its work and you can add more dog poop, explains Michael Evanston, Executive Director of City Pharma Program. You can add it to it daily. The waste biodegrades and flows into the subsoil. The holes drilled in the side of the can help the fluid and gas exchange with the soil. Check it at least once a week. I mean, you're never going to forget about it, are you? <laughs> and surely the dog poop is composting cleanly and add more septic starter. For those less DIY inclined, check out the Doggy Dooley 3000. This flip top lid sounds like one hit wonder. It sounds like Brandham 3000. That's what we're going to need on the musical, musical emporium, aren't we? The flip top lid is a nice feature coming to all Doggy Dooley products. Important note, do not use composted dog waste in your vegetable garden. Yes, you had to probably wash your carrots off or scrub your parsnips a little bit more if you're using that. Stick to using it in the non-food gardens like flower beds, trees and shrubs. It's going to make your roses blooming. So talking to my lovely uh, grandmother Joyce over the course of last weekend, uh, absolutely fascinating lady, uh, sharp as a whip, and she does enjoy a little bit of humor. She always says, naughty boy, naughty boy to me, naughty boy. But anyway, she was telling me about this um, rather raucous cockerel that apparently has either escaped from a local farm or somebody's brought in. Somebody's pet cockerel is loose in the graveyard uh, near where my grandfather Frank's buried. Now, he would have loved to see, you know, like a cockerel strutting around the graveyard there. But apparently... It's now eating flowers. So don't bring your beautiful flower presses into the graveyard because the cockerel probably will eat it. It's eating, you know, it's eating the, uh, all the dandelions, the geraniums, wildflowers, bought flowers. I mean, it's probably having a nibble at little Christmas trees or, or uh, evergreen decorations you put up for the holiday season. But it's strutting around. It's a proud, proud cockerel. And um, nobody knows. It's like a mystery of where it's come from. I mean, I know there's a new Jurassic uh, Park film coming out soon, but I think my grandmother may have spotted the prehistoric king of the skies that had a plumage to match. Long before birds existed, the skies are ruled by giant airborne reptiles, and I think this is what's in the graveyard. According to a new fossil, not only did these creatures beat birds to the flight, they also preempted their plumage. Debated rage for years whether or not the uh, Presaurus, uh, which also is known as the Petrodactyls, are close relatives of dinosaurs, but clearly distinct from them. The new species of a large uh, Petrosaur called the Tumdactylus imperatata. Uh, again, you need to look this up here because I probably absolutely mauled that, uh, which lived about 115 million years ago. So it's Tupendactylus, Tupendactylus imperata. It shows that it has a wingspan of about four to five meters, more than twice the width of the king-sized bed. It depends how big your bed is. How about if you have an emperor bed? It's sported plumage of different colors. This is what's in the graveyard, I tell you. The find suggests that the feathers evolved far earlier than thought. It also adds evidence that were originally used not for the flight, but the Imperator soared through the skies on sail-like wings of leathery skin. 
I mean, it sounds like Barbara Cartland or something, doesn't it? We didn't expect to see this at all. Dr. Oud Sincotta at the Royal Belgian Institute of Natural Science for decades, paleontologists have argued whether, uh, whether it had feathers. The feathers in our specimen close off that debate for good. Paleontologists also determined that dinosaurs, including Tyrannosaurus rex, had feathers. It's not clear whether the same was true for this, uh, for this flying beast some of which grew as tall as giraffes and had wingspans of about 10 meters, the width of an F-16 fighter jet. Claims by scientists uh, found that the found the feathers in 2018. They were disputed. The Tupandactylus imperata uh, fossil includes the creature's massive skull, which supported a head crest, short hair-like feathers, and were found at the base of the crest, as well as versions more similar to those seen in modern birds with a central shaft and barbs branching from it. They were studied using a powerful electron microscope which found preserved uh, melanosomes, capsules and feathers or hairs where the pigment melanin resides. The melasomes in certain thevatites were varying shapes, suggesting that the patches of plumage bore different shades. In birds today, colour is strongly linked to the melanome shape, said Professor Maria McNamara of the Royal Belgian Institute. This feature is essential for the colour patterning and shows the coloration was a critical feature of even the very earliest feathers. It was thought about a hundred million years earlier than, than one thought on the basis of the discovery of the early, earliest known bird fossil, uh, which was living in Germany about 150 million years ago. Benton wrote that this bird may have used their plumage to flirt. It's like the cockerel in the graveyard. It's flirting with the mourners. Just as certain birds use colourful tail fans, wings and head crests to attract males. He added, modern birds are renowned for their diversity and complexity of their colourful displays and for role of their aspects sexual selection and bird evolution. And the same might be true for a wide array of extinct animals including dinosaurs and this flying monster. I think I need to reach out to get Jeff Goldblum and get him to come out and check this chicken out. But I don't think that's any chicken. It's probably triple-breasted with the plumage, and it's going to have a beak that could probably peck your eyes out. I truly believe that waterproof socks do not exist. I thought I had to search this, because when you go for a winter in Colorado, and you're doing a lot of walking, a lot of ice, a lot of hard ice, then the soles of your hiking shoes start to wear down, and they let in a little bit of water. It's like, uh, it's like an ancient sailboat. They start letting in a little bit of water. So I was thinking, well, rather than buying a new pair of shoes, because these are worn and beautiful, I'm going to look up waterproof socks. Now, I do not believe they exist. I want to find some beautiful waterproof socks. So we'll talk about socks a little bit later on the podcast, or maybe tomorrow. It's going to be socks edition, because in the summertime, I don't like to wear socks. But then my poor old heels start cracking, so I didn't want to wear socks. But I need to find myself a waterproof sock. I mean, I've got several months here, because I'm, I'm thinking it's probably going to be a dry, hot summer, look, looking at how the weather's going to be today, to test out these socks ready for next winter. Because you wear in the shoe, you have a comfortable shoe that fits like a slipper. You don't want to break in another pair of shoes. This is why you need probably a butler to break in your shoes for you. And I'm willing to do this, but how many people out there are with size 13 feet? That's the, that's the question as well. But I must find myself a waterproof sock. And if you wash them, 
does it does it lose if you wash a sock too much does it lose it's waterproof or will it even get clean if it's properly waterproof or should i just get a normal sock and spray it with the waterproof coating i mean how long does that last do you have to hand wash anytime you want to start hand washing i mean maybe you could dry the socks in an air dryer. if you if you crisp up a pair of socks will that make it more waterproof will it give it a waterproof armor i wonder the French election is getting a little bit hairy. Everything about hairy chests, isn't it, at the moment? I wonder if uh, Emmanuel Macron likes a quarter zip as well. Love to know. Macron tries to woo younger voters with a series of behind-the-scenes photos in which the macho man is trying to copy. Emmanuel Macron's official photographer released behind-the-scenes images. The official photographer released these images ahead of the second round of voting in the presidential election. Mr. Macron can be seen in one photograph in an unbuttoned shirt with his chest along with a noticeable chest hair. The casual image of the French president has him with one arm laying across the back of a mustard yellow sofa. It looks like the color of my hiking shoes and the other arm with a slightly rolled sleeve. Obama used to do the slightly rolled sleeve. It never showed off a hairy chest, though. In the candid uh, pictures, the French president re bears a resemblance to the Bond actor Sean Connery and the star Burt Reynolds. I mean, what would Sean Connery say about this? Well, I don't mind showing the hairy chest, but uh, keep your croissant in your trousers. Yeah, the social media users also compared the French premier to fuzzy-chested Roger Federer. Yes, but uh, that's a little bit of a lob there. That's no... F no firm backhand. Mr. Macron is uh, running, hoping to beat the far-right politician Marie Le Pen. To do so, he needs to galvanise some support with the young. With 12 candidates in the first round whittled down to two. Now, they're going head-to-head -head in the next round. But experts say this election will be very different with voters disillusioned from the five years of the centrist president's globalist and pro-European policies. Uh, also, Mrs. Le Pen is popular with young voters in a poll earlier this month. I mean, but why is he getting his chest hair out? Don't, I don't think the young like her suit. I think they like, they like a basically, a, they like a bald-headed eagle. They like everything waxed, don't they? That's why all these waxing places are doing so well. I mean, if you go to the European Waxing Centre, I mean, it just makes you wonder, though, the European Waxing Centre just leaves everything hairy, doesn't it? Probably. Nothing gets waxed. You just go in there and talk French, practice your French or your German or something. I would like to leave the, uh, I would like to leave the moustache. I want to leave the bush. And I like a little bit of bottom hair. Well, I, lo I like, uh, I like you showing the hairy without uh, Mr. Macron, but uh, please put that croissant back in your trousers. Yeah, I mean, why is he doing this? Is it, is it going to help him? But I think everybody likes everything waxed now, don't they? They don't want to see a hairy chest. I'm worried that if I show my hairy chest in public, I might get arrested. I might get cancelled. I mean, you need to have a secret hairy chest these days, but Macron has it all out on show. Ooh la la. Lost in France. In love. So going from a French president that probably needs to do his shirt up. I mean, Simon Cowell's been doing this for years as well, hasn't he? I mean, his, his shirt extends right down to the nipples. 
But then you've got a droopy moob and then a hairy chest, probably not a good look. Companies searching for buff butlers, struggling with a national shortage of naked men, apparently. They say the job requirement is to be confident up for mingling with the hens. To United Kingdom-based companies say they're searching for men willing to work out and strut around at hen parties. But butlers with burns and Adonis Cabaret say that they believe there's currently a shortage of national naked men. The only job specifics the firm say has to be confident up for mingling with hens. Anybody who wishes to take part should be aged 23 to 38, unafraid to bear the booty. This is a naked butler's role. Directors of the Butlers and Bums, uh, former butler himself Dan Harley, has said demand is beginning to increase again after the pandemic. I mean, you could have a naked butler with a mask, couldn't you? Well, where would you put the mask? Yes, can you take the mask off your face, please, and just put that over the crown jewels? Thank you. Thank you. He also said the shortage uh, of uh, naked men is proving a real problem for his business. He says there's a lot of demand for our buff butlers across the UK right now for Hindus, birthday parties, and corporate events. But because of the pandemic, there's a national shortage of guys. Anybody who gets in a position will be required to wear the signature black and white pink butler's bums attire, including an apron with an open back. It's like naked chaps, naked cowboys. They also have to wear a collar, cuffs and a bow tie. So if you're up for a laugh and a flash of the derriere, then this could be just the job for you. The company is also looking out for models for life, drawing classes and men notoriously less inclined to volunteer for the role. Because, you know, you're drawing a painting you draw what you see, basically. I mean, does you know, if you're doing a watercolor, does everything seem bigger or smaller in a watercolor? I don't know. Former actor and performer Tristan Mills, who runs the Adonis Cabaret, said, "We're hoping to expand our shows and recruit many more guys. We know there are gym enthusiasts and fitness lovers out there that are perfect for the job, and would like to get. I mean, they're going to have to go around gyms and all these different." places these salons looking for these buff butlers so will what will the butler position involve here we go as the buff butler uh, you're engaging in all sorts of playful party antics from serving up canapes and tipples i mean you don't really want to be dropping caviar into the crotch do you how are you serving it i hope there's a white cloth over your arm as well and uh, i mean and white gloves probably because you know if you if you're going around and have a scratch if you're a buff butler you don't want that going into the uh, into the canapes and the appetizers, do you? Uh, if this sounds like your sort of thing, you can look up butlerswithbums.com and adoniscabaret.co.uk. Do you think people are becoming a little bit over-friendly on Zoom calls? I really do hate it when people start calling you friends. Hey, friends, how you doing? Now, you need to do this, friends. I wouldn't do that if I were you, friends. Everything is friends. And I don't think I like it. Maybe it's living in America. Maybe it's like a stiff upper lip, aloof British thing. I just can't handle that. This over-friendliness and calling people friends. You've never met me. Why are you calling me friends? We're not friends. We're colleagues, cohorts, co-workers, whatever you want to call. But definitely not friends. But there are certain people who can get away with calling people friends and being over-friendly in a sincere fashion. And I do think that Jim Nance... The commentator, he commentates on American football and golf. I, I do think Jim is a sincere fella. And when I get, when I hear him calling friends, it puts you in that warm place with a fire blazing at the butler cabin at Augusta National. And I think Jim Nance 
is one of those sincere people that can definitely call you friend. You may not know this, but meat was a rare treat for Anglo-Saxon kings. Far from living on a meat-laden diet of regular gluttonous feasts, Anglo-Saxon kings were would now be known as flexitarians. A new study suggests maybe you could have a vegan king as well. Run relic from the 7th century reign of uh, King Iron of Wessex is a kind of shopping list. It's asked the local farmers to supply 10 vats of honey, 300 loaves, 42 buckets of beer, two full-grown cattle or 10 sheep, 10 geese, 20 hens, 10 cheeses, bucket of butter, five salmon and 100 eels. Scholars quite understandably have included the medieval elite ate as if intending a permanent feast. But the study presents a very different picture. Anglo-Saxon kings like iron, it suggests, were mostly vegetarian, with meat eaten only infrequently, including massive barbecues where the nobility rubbed shoulders with the peasantry. One implication is the Anglo-Saxon England as a whole was less hierarchical than long supposed. The research began with Sam Leggett of Cambridge University analysed the bones of around 2,000 people buried in England for the 5th and 11th centuries looking for chemical signatures of what people ate. She also looked at the social status of each individual, signaled by items found in their bodies and positions of their graves. Confounding expectations is no sign that the elites were consuming more meat than the masses. Next, Leggett teamed up with Dr. Tom Lambert, also of Cambridge University, to look how this could be reconciled. They estimated that the supplies it mentions amount to more than 1.2 million calories. Mr. Motivator wouldn't like that. More than half of which would come from animal protein. If the elites were eating this kind of food regularly, their bones would have shown much higher levels of nitrogen than were detected, uh, which would have been a clear difference between the rich and the poor. A better explanation, Leggett and Lambert argue, sounds like it sounds like it should be a butcher shop yeah if you want a lovely piece of lamb this easter come over to legged and lambert the butchers family butchers this list describes the food required for one massive community barbecue the 300 loaves mentioned would have been small probably enough for one person if it seems a guest list of 300 people then uh, each would be offered more than 4,000 calories including 500 grams of beef plus plenty of salmon eel poultry and cheese as well as honey and ale uh, ten other comparable food lists from southern England suggest men use a modest amount of bread, a huge amount of meat, a decent but not excessive quantity of beer and no mention of vegetables. These feasts, the researchers believe, would have been lavish outdoor events which whole animals would have been roasted in huge pits, examples of which have been excavated in East Anglia. Historians assume that medieval feasts were exclusively for elites, but the food lists uh, allow for huge appetites. 300 more people would have attended. I've been to plenty of barbecues with friends that cook ludicrous amounts of meat, so we shouldn't be too, too surprised about this historical revelation. Trumpius Trombonius, a mystery pale man, has been cycling naked through a local village which is leaving locals baffled. Several sightings of the naked man in his birthday suit have been reported in Derbyshire through the Peak District of Fenny Bentley and, uh, on the morning of Easter. The man appears to be a middle-aged and was caught on camera riding through Ashbourne yesterday afternoon, Tuesday, April uh, the 19th, uh, much to the amusement of those driving behind him. Villagers thought it was some sort of prank, but a group of runners heading towards Mantor saw him on Sunday the 18th, suggesting a pattern of behaviour I mean, he was looking for his Easter eggs, wasn't he? Let's hope he had his Easter basket draped down. Meanwhile, Derbyshire police received one call from a member of the public about the naked cyclist, but an officer in the area failed to track him down. 
and then one social media on Facebook said they saw the nude cyclist crossing the co-op car park in Ashbourne. Hopefully he wasn't getting a crusty baguette. However, there was no reports of naked cyclists in Derbyshire on Wednesday, April the 20th. My question is, where on earth did he put his bicycle clips? Leading food scientist Dr. Stuart Farramond of the University of Chester has named chicken tikka filling and ready salted crisp as the ultimate match when it comes to crisp sandwiches. He carried out this unique research and teamed up with the fast food franchise Subway to find the best crisps, sandwiches, chip sandwich. The expert arrived at his conclusion after using consumer data to analyze the taste, aroma and texture of foods to identify the top 10 sandwich fillings and crisp pairings. Chicken tikka has a wide range of flavors and stimulates sweet, sour, umami, a savory flavor sensation that also gives foods a more high quality and a little bit of spicy heat as well. Dr. Farman went on to say that sandwiches are much-loved lunchtime staples with flavors, pairings, theory, and consumer testing has allowed us to explore new ways to boost texture and flavor. Subway and Walkers briefed me to analyze the flavor compounds of iconic sandwiches, crisp flavors in the study. Uh, hopefully give Brits some more lunchtime inspiration. Tuna mayonnaise and prawn cocktail Chris were awarded second place in the rankings as prawn cocktail flavor Chris carry that piquant taste of Marie Rose sauce which complements and accentuates the fish flavors of the tuna mayo. And third place were meatballs and ready salted crisps. I mean, you c- I don't think you could balance a meatball on a, on a crisp, could you? Now that's an impressive crisp. That's the sort of crisp I want. If you can balance your meatballs on a crisp, I'm going to gnash into it. So our good friends from Very British Problems Official uh, on Twitter and also on Instagram love these guys. And they give the Very British Hangover Scale. Zero. Fresher than a daisy, just washed in Lenore, sparkling. One to two. A mild tugging of the brain. A cheeky ghost in the cogs three to four a crow pecking in your ear an invisible cloak of grease mild sadness five to six spicy talons prod everywhere regret stains your jeans eternal tuesdays seven to eight a real retching bastard in the glove box oh god mutterings much wailing and nine to ten a swift cricket back to the temple a gut punch of bile pleading and bargaining never again Lovely stuff, lolly old stuff, lolly old job, lolly old, lolly old job, lolly old job. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. It's been fabulous having you here this Friday, this steamy hot Friday here in Colorado. I mean, it, it, it sun's out, droopy guns out, maybe for me. Um, I'm letting a little bit of air in, as I said, quarter zip. Be very careful not to get the chest hair stuck in there. Now, I think that Macron uh, chest, I think that was a chest wig. That didn't look real to me. It really didn't look like a real chest. He doesn't look like... He looks like he might be hairless, to be honest, doesn't he? Macron. Yeah. It's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? You don't want your politician... I mean, we don't want to see... I bet I bet Boris is hairless, isn't he? He might have a single strand of blonde hair popping up between the moves or something along those lines. But marvellous having you here. So like and subscribe where you can uh, across all of the platforms at keep cheese on twitter keep calm and cauliflower cheese on instagram also you can listen on apple Podcasts. you can listen spotify audio version uh, slacker breaker 
iHeartRadio, Pandora, Amazon Music. Uh, also, you can listen on Audible and Google Podcasts as well. But if you like music, if you like a little bit of tuneful melody between the rabbiting on, the nonsense that emanates from Chappie's mouth, then you can listen to some Joan Armour trading. Uh, drop the pilot you can have some uh, fresh prints some warm douche twitching in the kitchen uh, also some high and dry the jamie cullen version brown van uh, 3000 french kissing in the usa you've got some amy stewart you have some simply red and you have some yacht rock to sail off into the distance with coming up next though we close with a poem this is charming spring reminiscent melodies serenade the morning breeze feathered creatures nest with care in cherry blossoms pink and fair perfume scent of roses flow tiny blades of green grass grow misty showers soak the earth glorious colors come to birth gathering clouds come and go rain sun and vibrant bow dainty petals fancy flare dancing in the warm sweet air violets yellows purest white graceful gentle welcome sight thank you O oh lovely sweet spring patiently waiting the charms you bring i will be back again before the close of the weekend for another edition of keep calm and cauliflower cheese oh, i hope you get your deck chairs out make sure you know because they can perish a little bit that material when they're sitting in the garage during the winter months just check but gently put your posterior down because you don't want your bottom pressed between a broken deck chair cheerio for now